0: This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Saint John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is too deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus said to her, "'I, who speak to you, am he.'" Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, "'What do you seek?' Or, "'Why are you talking with her?' So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, "'Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. "'Could this be the Christ?' They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, "'Rabbi, eat.'" But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples began saying to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. I invite you to be seated. <clears throat> when I was growing up, we had uh, an old-timey picture in my house. You know the kind that I'm talking about where they have that kind of sepia tone and everybody's, you know, sitting upright and they're not looking. It was a, it was a picture from the, from the early 1900s. Uh, uh, it was a picture of a man that I didn't really know anything about. My, my mom would tell me that that was her great-grandfather. Um, but that was all, that I, all all that I really knew ab- uh, about him. Um, well, she began doing some research. She, she got curious about this, and she, you know, signed on to, you know, Ancestry.com or one of those where she could start doing some research. And, and she just got addicted to doing research. Just you know, rabbit trail after rabbit trail, and you know, just just farther and further and further in, into all of this. And she began researching how how it was that this family that lived in in and around Baltimore on the East Coast ended up in Arizona. Like, how does that? How does that happen, especially in the early 1900s? There wasn't, you know, a big boom. Not, people weren't just moving to, to, to Phoenix in, in the early 1900s. Uh, so what was going on? And, and this this research that she had led her to uh, to Boston and to Baltimore and to South Carolina and into Oregon as she began slowly, piece by piece, tracking down this story about how her grandfather and her great-grandfather, and more importantly, how her grandmother ended up in Arizona how did that happen? There's a missing piece in our story that, that, that gets that, that gets confusing to us as we're reading the story about Jesus and his interactions with the woman at the well. Because at the beginning of the story it says that they were journeying through Samaria. And to us, we, we might know, especially if we've been reading scripture for, for most of our lives, we might know that there's some sort of interaction that, that is strange with Samaria. We know that, you know that there's the story of the Good Samaritan, and you, you're supposed to not expect the Samaritan to behave that. Like, I know that there's something the, 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 the people uh, who, who are Jewish don't like, the Samaritans, and Samaritans don't ever talk to them, but I don't really understand all of that, so... The backstory that is going on here that will help us to understand this, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning, before there was a Jerusalem, before there was an Israel. There was Jacob, and Jacob had a bunch of sons. And one of his sons was named Joseph. Now, we know a lot about Joseph's story, right? He's got the, 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 the dreams and the, the multicolored code, and he gets sold into slavery, and you know all of these incredible things that happened to him. But here's something that we often miss when we're reading that story, that Joseph had two sons. His sons were named Ephraim and Manasseh. And when God's people were brought into the promised land, Ephraim and Manasseh and all of their family were given plots of land. They were given parts of of land for them to to, to dwell in. And and also his younger brother, Benjamin, was given this. So Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin were given this territory north of of Jerusalem, in the northern part of what we would consider to be Israel. But there was wickedness in and amongst God's people. There was idolatry. People left behind the the faith of their fathers, and they chased after new gods and new religions. And so judgment came, and it came in the form of the Assyrians. And the, the Assyrians, when they attacked, began attacking all of the places that God's people lived in, in the northern part of Israel. So those same places where Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin had settled were now overrun by the troops uh, and conquered by the troops of the Assyrian army. And what Assyria did is that they took all of the people who lived there away and they scattered them throughout their empire and then they took other people from other parts of the empire and they scattered them back into this place they moved everybody around and it was designed so that it was it would you know kind of destabilize all of the all of the political system so that you couldn't have you couldn't have rebellion if nobody was related to each other and oftentimes rarely spoke the same language they were just sort of all mixed in together well here's what happened there were some of god's people that were left there but they didn't have any connection they didn't have any contact with the people in judah they were just there, and they were surrounded by other people that came from pagan religions, other kinds of, you know, just all sorts of religions from all over the area. And so the people of, of God developed their own way of doing theology. They they held on to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, but they had their own version of the Pentateuch, and they believed that where that, that where God came to speak to them was this big mountain in the middle of, of this area that's called Mount Gerizim. And they believed that that was God's holy mountain, that was the place where where God was going to come back and he was going to be amongst his people and he was going to bring peace and he was going to restore all of the promises that he had given to his people from the very beginning. They believed that they had the claim to the authentic faith and that the people who, who followed the Pentateuch who lived in the south didn't really have the authentic faith. Those, those Jewish people who worshipped at their mountain, Mount Zion, who worshipped at the Temple Mount, that was the wrong place. God didn't intend for, his, for, for his, his faith to be at the temple. He intended for the faithful to gather on top of Mount Garrison. So the argument between the Jewish and the, Sam, the, the Samaritan people is not just, well, they're not like us, they're different. It's a very, very old conflict. It's something that happens because of sin in their life and because of sin in the lives all around them. There's a brokenness that enters into their relationship. And if we don't understand that, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us why it's so weird that Jesus goes over and sits down at this well and then asks a woman to give him a drink. But John is a storyteller. We said that last week. John is a storyteller, and he wants us to understand some of what's going on. So in this town in Samaria, Jesus goes and sits down by a well. And a woman comes up and he says, give me a drink. And she immediately says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are talking to me? How, do you, how is it that you are asking me for a drink? What, what's going on here? She's very confused because they don't speak. They don't interact. But it's more than that. Men and women don't interact in that culture, especially not in daylight, especially not away from town. The well's not in town. John's already told us that. He said that the disciples went into the town so that they could get food. So this is out away from town, out in a lonely place, out away from from everybody's, uh, everybody's view. Men and women don't interact with each other in this culture, in that context. And yet here he sits talking to this woman who comes to to take a drink of water. She says, how is it that you speak to me? John says, because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus says, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked me to give you a drink. Because the water that I give is water that gives life. It's water that is alive. It's water that is life. The water that I give makes people alive forever. And she says, well, where does it come from? You don't even have a bucket with you. Where are you getting this water from? You sat down and said, give me a drink. And now you tell me that you can give me all of this water. Jesus says, it's not that kind of water. If you drink out of this well, you're just going to be thirsty again in an hour In a couple of hours, certainly by tomorrow, you'll be thirsty again. But the water that I give will become a spring of water inside you. A spring of water. Unending water. He says, welling up to eternal life. A spring that overflows with life that never ends. That's the promise that Jesus gives to her. And she says, well, then give me the water. (laughs) They give me the water right now. He says, go and get your husband. Go and get your husband. She says, well, I, I can't get my husband. And he says, no, you can't because you've been married five times and the man that you're with is not your husband. Now, I've said this before in, in sermons when we've talked about this passage, but it bears repeating because we make a lot of assumptions because we don't listen to what the passage is saying to us. We make assumptions that, oh, well, she's, you know, She's just been, you know, shacking up with all these different people. She's, you know, she's, she's a loose woman. In fact, many of the Christian commentators make that point. They go out of their way to make the point that Jesus sits down at the well with this sinful woman. But it should be pointed out that the Samaritans would not have tolerated that sort of behavior. They held to the strictest interpretation of the Old Testament that is possible. They would not in any way have, 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 have accepted that kind of behavior. And Jesus, in John's gospel, when he encounters people who have sin in their life, calls them to repentance. But he doesn't call this woman to repentance. It's worth pointing out that women in Jesus' culture don't have the option of getting married multiple times. This is not a thing that happens. She She can't get married and then just move on to the next house and the next house and the next house. That doesn't happen. This is a woman who has been either widowed or divorced. In Jesus's world, this is, this is referenced in, in one of the other gospels, in Jesus's world, a man could divorce a woman by simply writing down, go away on a piece of paper and handing it to her. He didn't even have to have a reason. The reason, that it, it, could, it could be she burned dinner. That was enough for her to be sent away. And if you were sent away, you had nothing. At the very best, you could go home and stay in a guest room. That was the best that you could hope for. But this has happened to this woman five times. Five times. And now she's with a man that she's not married to. Again, Jesus doesn't call her to repentance. Probably the man that she's with is a father or a brother or a nephew. She's living with somebody. She's living on someone else's welfare. Her existence is just provided by someone else's goodwill and kindness. They could throw her out at any moment. She doesn't have any safety. She doesn't have any security. And yet here's this man, this Jew, who's not supposed to speak to her, this man who's not supposed to speak to her, who sits down, who comes into her world, who goes into the wilderness to find her and says, come to me and I will give you life that wells up inside of you. I will give you life that never ends, that pours out of you to every other life that you touch. She comes to this well every single day so that at this place she can have her needs met. Her temporary needs will be met. And then one day, sitting at this well, Christ shows up. God steps into the middle of her story and he offers her a new kind of water, a new way to be made full, a new way to be healed, a new way to become whole again. He offers her an end to all of the things that she's thirsted for. And what's her response? She drops everything that she's carrying and runs to tell other people about it. She encounters God and her response is to drop everything that she's doing and run back into town so that she can tell people what she's heard and what she's seen. She can tell people about this person that she met all the way out here in the middle of the wilderness. The question for us today as we listen to this story is where are the wells in our lives, in our communities? Where are these places where we go regularly, often, to meet our temporary needs? What are the water jars that we carry with us? What are the means that we take out when we go out into the world to have our temporary needs met? Where are we relying on our own strength to meet our own needs? This woman is thirsty. And God steps into the middle of her story and meets her face to face. He breaks down every barrier that stands between her and eternal life. And he says, come to me and I'll give you water that never ends. Come to me if you're thirsty and I'll fill you with life that never ends so that you'll never be thirsty again. She's thirsty and Jesus satisfies every thirst that she has. There's something else in this story that we miss often. Because for us, a well is a place that you go and get water. I mean, for us, it's a it, it, you know it's the fountain or or the or, or the, the faucet. That's a place where you go to get water. Vending machine at the Sonic. Vending machine at the Sonic. Exactly. We go and you know you get get our cup filled with with everlasting life. <laughs> or caffeine. <laughs> That's right. But in Scripture, wells have a different image. They mean something different because wells are trysting places. They're places where people go to find a date. And this happens over and over again in Scripture. Remember the story of Jacob, right? We talked about Jacob and his connection to this area of Samaria, but that's where Jacob meets Rebekah. That's where Moses meets his wife Zipporah. The, The well is a trysting place. And there's something incredible about this image, that Christ goes into a foreign place to find a woman to give life to her. Just like God, in the person of Jesus Christ, goes into a pagan place, my heart. To fill me full of life, life that doesn't end, life that never stops. He casts down every barrier. He crosses over every boundary that sin and death and the devil have erected to keep him at arm's length. And he does it because he loves me. He does it because he wants us to be filled with life. Life that never ends, life that never stops, life that doesn't stop welling up inside of us. Life that pours out of us and gives life to every life that we touch. Because when Jesus goes to the well, Jesus is also thirsty, and he invites her to meet his needs. And God is thirsty in our midst today. All of us are invited to join him At the well, to draw water for Christ, to become a wellspring of life in the midst of our homes and in the midst of our workplaces and in the midst of our community, especially now, especially now when we are tempted on every side to be afraid of each other. To be afraid of our neighbors, now is the time for God's people to become wellsprings of life that pour out eternal life to one another, to every single life that we touch. To love each other and our neighbors the way that God in Christ loves us, holding nothing back, expecting nothing in return. We said last week sometimes there are wildernesses in our hearts. But today we're confronting the reality that there's wilderness in our communities and that God is calling us to become wellsprings, to become springs of eternal water in all of the wildernesses that are around us. The ones that are in our homes, the ones that are between our homes, the ones that are between our vehicles as we drive, the ones that are surround us as we go into stores. We are invited today to join Christ we're invited today to become, because of Christ, wellsprings of water that never end. Water that pours out to bring life and healing. Because as John said, I saw water proceeding out of the temple from the right side thereof. And all people, wherever that water comes, shall be healed and will cry out praise be to God.